Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That was written by the Apostle Paul in the letter we call 2 Corinthians. New creation was the point. New creation was the point. That if anyone is in Christ, they're new. They're new. God didn't finish with creation at the creation. He's been creating ever since, every day. There's new creation in Christ. Jesus described it as a second birth in John chapter 3. When someone responds to the gospel of Jesus in living faith, they're not only saved from their sin and made right with God, they're actually made new. The gospel of Jesus is primarily news that makes you new. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus is primarily news that makes you new. That's one of the reasons it's the good news. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus transforms people. It transforms people. The gospel of Jesus was transforming people in Paul's day, and it's transforming people today. The letter that we'll look at today, Philemon, was written by the Apostle Paul from his house arrest in or near Rome, along with the three other letters, with with three other letters. And you can turn to Philemon if you want uh, in in your Bible. Uh, But it was written... um, along with three other letters about the same time, Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians. The latter two of those letters, Ephesians and Colossians, were sent at the same time by the same messengers to the same general geographical area along with his letter to to Philemon. Okay, those three. And that's why... Uh, Susan read those other two as well. In both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul wrote about gospel transformation in the context of putting off the old self and putting on the new self, which is what Susan just read. In Rome, Paul was seeing gospel transformation all the time. He was seeing gospel transformation in Rome all the time, even in the context of his house arrest. So he wrote about that in his letters. He wrote about that. But in the letter we'll look at today, he did more than just talk about it. We'll see this transformation illustrated in the lives of two people. Two people. Philemon and his runaway bondservant, Onesimus. What I want to do today with you this morning is to walk through the relational context of this letter to Philemon. I want to explore the request that Paul is making to Philemon in that letter and what's behind that request. My hope is that you will see how how the gospel can transform people, relationships, and society as a whole. And that you will see in this story, gospel 
Transformation Illustrated, which is the title of this sermon. So, uh, but before we do, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would help us to see gospel transformation illustrated today in the lives of these two individuals, and even in the greater context of this custom of master bondservant. Lord, that we would see how the gospel can transform our relationships. We can see how the gospel can transform these people. Lord, and that uh, we would see our part in that. Lord, give us a vision for gospel transformation in our day here in the Midcoast area through us and through your work uh, of Jesus in his gospel. We just thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's our plan for this morning. So first I want to lay out the relational context of this letter to Philemon. This whole letter is written to this guy, Philemon, and, and a few others. The letter was written by Paul and Timothy during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Like I said, along with three other letters. Two of those letters, like I mentioned before, Ephesians and Colossians, were written by Paul at the same time, carried to the same general area by the same messengers as the letter to Philemon. So we know they have a lot in common. These letters were carried by two guys, two guys, one by the name of Tychicus and the other by the name of Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a runaway bondservant. He's carrying these letters with Tychicus. Now, we know from Colossians 4.9, if you flip over there, you don't have to, but from Colossians 4.9, that Onesimus was from Colossae. And we assume, therefore, that Onesimus, uh, since Onesimus was Philemon's bondservant, that he too was from Colossae. Okay, so let me give you some details on Philemon. Who was Philemon? He was a well-to-do man of Colossae, a believer who probably met Paul in Ephesus and was probably led to the Lord by Paul. We can tell by the context of the letter that there's a special relationship between Philemon and Paul. And almost a spiritually responsible relationship. So we think that Paul probably led Philemon to Christ. The funny thing is, the funny thing is, is that while Paul spent about two years in Ephesus, apparently he'd never been to nearby Colossae. Which isn't too surprising when you realize that Ephesus was the big city and Colossae was just one of many smaller towns around Ephesus. It's like Portland and Pownall, you know? So he spent all his time in Portland and just never got over to Pownall. But people from Pownall came to Portland. Okay. Well, <clears throat> regardless, um, so, so Philemon's initial meeting and any sub subsequent interactions with Paul probably happened <clears throat> in Ephesus. Paul knew this man well and called him a beloved fellow worker, along with Aphia, if you could look right in the first couple of verses, along with Aphia, 
who is probably his wife, whom he calls our sister. And Archippus, who is possibly his son, whom he calls our fellow soldier, and to whom Paul had given a particular charge at the end of the letter to the Colossians. At the end of the letter to Colossians, he says, Archippus, fulfill your ministry. <laughs> so that's possibly um, Philemon's son, but it was, if not, it was somebody who lived with Philemon. And Paul knew of the church that met in Philemon's home. So Philemon was a believer. He was a host, uh, very hospitable. <laughs> Matter of fact, Philemon was known for his hospitality. And Paul commented on his hospitality in verse 7. If you look at verse 7, again, it's one of my favorites. I have probably a thousand favorites in the Bible. But <laughs> this is one of them in verse 7 <clears throat> when he wrote, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think that's probably one of the definitions of hospitality, that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, Philemon. And toward the end of the letter to Philemon, Paul asked him to prepare a room for him. Imagine the boldness of that. Prepare a room for him because he hoped through his prayers to be released from house arrest, to travel to Colossae and visit Philemon at his house. Okay, so that's the context of Philemon. That's who he is, okay? I actually have wondered if Philemon owned horses because if you look up the name of the uh, Archippus, it means master of the horse. But we don't know that. It's kind of interesting. Okay, so that's Philemon. Now Onesimus. Onesimus used to be a bondservant to Philemon. The term bondservant in the New Testament, or slave in some translations, is a translation of the Greek word doulos. Doulos. Unlike perceptions of modern slavery, bondservant or doulos is a broad term, a relatively broad term with a wide range of usage. In the time of the New Testament, a bondservant could refer at times to someone who voluntarily serves others, perhaps to pay off a debt. So they would be indentured for a term to pay off a debt. But in most cases, the term referred to a person in a permanent state of service. A bondservant, for the term of their service, was considered the property of the Roman citizen, holding no right to leave his place of service. So that's a bondservant. So Onesimus was previously a bondservant to Philemon. But Onesimus had run away. And in the course of his fugitive journey, had made his way to Rome. Where Paul met him, led him to Christ, and discipled him. <laughs> Talk about coincidences, right? We are God incidences. We think this because in his letter to Philemon, Paul called him his child. We think that Paul led him to Christ because Paul called him his child. And he spoke to him in rather fatherly terms. At one point, he called him my very heart. 
my very heart. <laughs> and in Colossians 4.9, Paul called him a faithful and beloved brother. Well, it's not clear whether Paul knew Onesimus when he worked for Philemon or not, but it's clear that he knew him now, and he loved him as his own child. Okay, so that's the background of Philemon and Onesimus. Paul led them both to Christ, probably. So imagine this. Imagine this. Put your imaginations on. Paul is in house arrest in Rome with the runaway bondservant of his good friend Philemon, whom he led to Christ. And now he has led that runaway bondservant to Christ, and he has become a beloved friend. Baboom. See any dilemmas there? <laughs> what should he do? What should he do? He knew that Onesimus would remain in legal jeopardy as a runaway. He knew that. They both knew that. So it appears that both Philemon and Onesimus decided to deal with the situation head on by sending Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter. Basically, basically, you can read the whole thing, but it basically requests Philemon to free him and henceforth treat him as a brother not a bondservant. That's what the letter does. Now this brings me to an interesting question. I think it was kind of interesting to me. I mulled over it for a while. Why did Paul write these three letters? Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, carried by the same guy, or the same two guys. Was it that he and Onesimus decided that he should go back to Philemon first? And while you're going... Paul wrote the three letters to send with him in Tychicus? Is that how it happened? Or was it the other way around? That Paul had written these letters to Ephesus and Colossians, and he wanted to send Onesimus back with Tychicus, and so he wrote a letter to Philemon, a letter that would be essential to address that awkward moment when they arrived <laughs> In Colossae, and in the audience, would be Philemon hearing them read the letter. That would be an awkward moment. So he sent that letter. Well, I don't think it really matters so much. It was kind of a fun exercise to go through for me. I don't think it matters much whether, uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg here. What is important to remember is that they are closely related. Each of these three letters are closely related. And Paul was likely mindful of the subjects and the themes in each of these three letters as he wrote each of them. So I don't know if you've ever read Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon with that in mind, that they were written basically at the same time as he's writing these letters. He's thinking about the themes in each of them. And it's very interesting to me, we talked about it at the early bird, that if you look at the nature of each of these three letters, Ephesians is um, one of the least personal letters. He, I think he only mentions the name Tychicus in the letter. He doesn't mention anybody else in Ephesus. 
But you go over to this little letter to this little town, Colossae, and it's filled with names. Filled with names. And so is Philemon. What do you suppose that is? Well, in a big church, <laughs> in a big church, there's just so many people that he just doesn't... It's just he doesn't get very personal in Ephesians because it's written to a big church and it was likely that letter was probably spread to everybody. Read this letter to Ephesians. Wow, it's a big city. must have something important to say. But Colossians was very much more targeted. And so he had all these personal things. It's kind of, I just, I, I love putting these letters in their context. So these three letters were written at the same time with very much Paul thinking about the themes in each one. And what I'm getting at, because I actually have an agenda, one of the things I'm getting at here is that he wrote Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, which in, in the middle of that it says this, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. He wrote that in Ephesians. It's in chapter 6 between 5 and 9. And in Colossians, he writes very much a similar thing. In Colossians 3, 22 through 4, chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He says that in both Ephesians and Colossians. And while he was writing that, he was also writing, at the same time, a request to Philemon to treat Onesimus no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. And he said, receive Onesimus as you would receive me, Paul, with all the attendant honors and privileges. So it would be inappropriate to interpret Paul's statements in the letters to Ephesians and Colossians as an unconditional endorsement of the social custom of master-bond-servant relationship. Do you see that? <clears throat> when Paul is at the same time asking Philemon to free Onesimus from that same custom. Do you see how that fits together? Okay, and if that is true, of the master-bond-servant relational custom, would it not also be true of the other social household customs he's describing in the verses preceding those that I quoted from Ephesians and Colossians? It's a very similar thing. The gospel of Jesus was meant to transform the social customs and to make them something better. Make them something better. That's what he's doing when he's talking about the bond-servant-master relationship. That the gospel of Jesus, when it enters into those relationships, makes them better. <laughs> okay. Um, and there's a whole... I, I wish we could talk more about that. Uh, and we will probably in the weeks ahead. Um, but I just want you to see that particular one and see how it is transformed through the gospel. Okay, and so it was that transformation with the relationship between the former master Philemon and the former bondservant Onesimus, now brothers in Christ. <clears throat> but that's not all. <laughs> 
that's not all. There was something different about Onesimus now. You know what the name of Onesimus means in Greek? It means useful or beneficial, or you might say value-added. <laughs> it is said that many masters may have named their bondservants with such names in the hopes that their names would bear out their actions. <laughs> in the hopes that their names would bear out their actions. You're useful. Come on, get useful. Unfortunately, Onesimus was not one of those who at first bore out his name. <laughs> he didn't at first bear out his name. Paul said he was formerly useless to Philemon, which seems to be a play on words. Although they are different Greek words, they generally mean the same thing. And whether this word useless was simply a reference to the fact that he'd run away or that he was not a good worker before then, I don't know. I don't know. However, the fact that he ran away indicates a certain level of dissatisfaction or resentment uh, to his station as a bondservant, doesn't it? So, you, you have to judge. Was he difficult to manage? Was he lazy and untrustworthy? Whatever the case, he was really helpful to Paul now. And Paul said he would be useful to Philemon. What did Paul mean when he said that he would really be useful to Philemon? I think it meant that no matter what happened to him, whether he is freed by Philemon or reindentured, his transformed life meant that he would be easier to work with and a valuable, a value-added contributor now. He would actually match his name. I don't think I'm going to mention this, but one of the things at the very end of the letter, Paul says, I want some benefit from you, Philemon. The word benefit is onamai. It's the same word as Onesimus. It's a play on words. It's very interesting. <clears throat> and because Onesimus' transformed life in Christ, Paul wanted Philemon to consider Onesimus no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, because Paul viewed him that way. And he said that this is even more true for Philemon. And he said it was true both in the flesh and in the Lord. Interesting. In the flesh and in the Lord. Paul made a distinction between those two things. He said it was true in both realms. Well, what would this transformed life look like in these two realms? I thought about that for a little bit. In the flesh, he would be useful with his new demeanor in completing normal earthly tasks as a servant with a whole heart rather than reluctantly or resentfully. But in the Lord, in the Lord, Onesimus has the mind of Christ. He has the life of God and the soul of man, as Henry Skogel would say. In the Lord, Onesimus had the capacity to get it or um, to fully grasp the purposes and mission of God in the world, something a fleshly servant, no matter how wholehearted, could not do. As a brother in Christ, we move more to a ta from a task-oriented work relationship to a mission-oriented partnership with the big picture in mind. 
It means that Onesimus is equipped to fulfill the spirit of an assignment, not just the letter of the assignment. It's kind of like what Jesus was talking about in John 15, 15. I don't know if you ever caught this one. When he says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. I think that was what he was talking about. Paul wanted Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul. Think about that. So how would he receive Paul if Paul came? Have you ever wondered about that? If Jesus was coming over to the house, what you'd be like? I'd probably be like Martha running around trying to clean everything up. (laughs) But what a privilege, right? What a privilege. If Paul was coming to the town, similar thing, I'd be running around. What a privilege and an honor to have Paul come to your house. I want you to receive Onesimus as you would receive me with the same sense of honor and gratitude. To have Paul with you is truly an honor and worth making the most of it. To treat Onesimus the same way would have been a challenge for Philemon, wouldn't it? Would have been a challenge for Philemon. And he made this request in the form of an if-then statement. Did you catch it? In the form of an if-then statement. If you consider me your partner, and the word partner is koinonos. It's the, uh, the Greek word is koinonos for partner. Then receive him as you would receive me. If you consider me your partner, your koinonos. The Greek word for partner has the same root as the word sharing in verse 6. Look at that one, verse 6. And it helps us understand what verse 6 means. It's one of the hardest verses in the Bible to understand, in my view. In verse 6, according to the Bible Project, and I love the way they put this, it says, the partnership that springs from your faith, or the sharing of our faith, may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us in Christ. This koinonia would help you to understand all the good that we have in Christ. In other words, that our partnership in the faith would energize you. If you look at the Greek word, it's energized. Would energize you to recognize all the good things we have in Christ. Especially this one. To see the transformation that has taken place in the life of Onesimus. And to see that the gospel has the power to transform your relationship with him from a master bondservant to a brotherhood relationship. Actually, into another koinonos, into another partnership in Christ. That's the good that I want you to be energized into seeing, Philemon. Paul wanted Philemon to treat Onesimus the same way that he would treat Paul, of his own accord, not to be compelled by Paul, but to do it by his own consent according to his own goodness. He didn't compel Philemon to do it, but boy, he used every amount of influence he could, as you read it. He definitely is influencing Philemon to do this, but he didn't require him to. And this brings me back to the point. 
to the verse that I quoted at the beginning of this sermon that Susan quoted earlier. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The old, the old has passed away. Behold! Behold, the new has come. It's the best way to read that. The gospel is the good news that makes things new, that makes people new, that makes relationships new, and has the power to make society and social customs new. The gospel is meant to transform people, relationships, and society. And as we saw this gospel transformation illustrated in Onesimus and Philemon and their relationship, may we see this gospel transformation illustrated in our relationships, our church, and our society today. I'll close with this. Gospel transformation is the primary goal of discipleship. A disciple is a learner of Christ. You know that from the Greek word methetes. A disciple is a learner, a pupil, a mentor, an apprentice of Christ. A disciple is a, this is, this is kind of my definition nowadays, a, a disciple is a Jesus follower who is becoming like Jesus according to the gospel of Jesus. A disciple is a Jesus follower who is becoming like Jesus according to the gospel of Jesus. Jesus left us with a commission to make disciples of all nations. It's part of our mission as a church. To see Christ formed in people. To see people transformed by the gospel. This is the commission Jesus gave us. Let's make disciples like Paul was doing from his house arrest in Rome. Let's do it together. Let's see people's lives change through the gospel as we make disciples. You can do it. You can do it. You can. With God's help, you can help someone become a disciple of Jesus even if you are just one week ahead. You can. God meant you to. He meant me to. The gospel of Jesus makes people new. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are so thankful that you gave us this letter to Philemon. So in the midst of all the letters from Paul where he wrote about gospel transformation, in the midst of it all, we can see this gospel transformation illustrated in the lives of Philemon and Onesimus. Lord, give us living examples of this gospel transformation today among us. Give us a vision for gospel transformation through discipleship and disciple-making. Help us to be transformed by the gospel. Help us to take steps of, steps of faith today to enter into transformation as disciples who make disciples of Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.